0: Hello! Good morning. Yeah, so as Jen said, um, we're in a, a fun series of messages right now called Things Jesus Never Said, and if this is your first time hearing about that, you might think that's a little weird, because what kind of a church focuses on things that he didn't say? well, we are that weird church. I'm happy to say, um, we kind of the, the premise behind the series is we're actually going to find out more about what he did say when we look at things he didn't say. Um, and I, I, find that when you're, when you're getting to know somebody just trying to figure out their heart, their character, it's often, it's fun to, you know, find out things that they, they wouldn't say. So let me, let me give you an example. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of my favorite person in my entire life. This is a picture of my wife, Leslie. Uh, She was, yes, thank you. She was here in the first service. Have you guys ever played Two Truths and a Lie? So we're going to play two truths and a lie this morning So what I've done is I'm going to put up three statements on the screen Two of them are things that Leslie has actually said in the last three months One of them isn't So this is what we're going to do um, I'm going to read them And then at the end of them You're just going to I know you're not supposed to yell in church But you're just going to yell a number at me And we're going to see who gets what right I got this right in the first service So this this was really good We'll see if we can do it again So number one I'm going to ride horses tonight. I'll see you afterward. Number two, I signed the contract on my third book. Number three, I can't pick up that dog poo. It makes me gag. All right, so on the count of three, yell a number at me one, two, three, go. This is a side note. Have you guys ever played the game Pit, the card game? That's what that is. One, 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 two, two. You're, you're saying like how many cards you need? One, one, two, two, two. Okay, so I heard a lot of twos right there. All right, so the, because I'm a little dramatic, we need a drum roll. Give me a drum roll. Ready? The answer is she never said that. So Leslie really, she grew, up, uh, she grew up around horses. She really likes going to Rachel Hoverman's house and, and riding and, and washing the horses. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, she signed the contract on her third book. So that's super exciting. Um, is like, is that a shameless plug? Yes, it's a shameless plug for her. Super excited. That third statement, I can't pick up that dog poo, it makes me gag. She never said that. I said that. <laughs> So we have, this wasn't in our marriage vows, but we just have kind of a situation in our marriage where, um, you know, like we'll go out and our dog is named Lulu and Leslie, man, God bless her. She has this ability, like Lou will just go to the bathroom, usually on somebody's yard and uh, Leslie just grabs this like glove contraption she has. She picks it up right after that. She folds it up and it just makes me gag. (laughs) What I do though, just so, I mean, I have to, I have to tell you, my job is when Lou throws up. That's what I get to clean up. This is, this is too much information for you. I understand that. But uh, that's, that's a little situation we have. So we found that out. You learned something about my wife by looking at what... She didn't say so if you are if you're new to christianity or maybe you don't know much about the bible um, The new testament starts with four gospels. It starts with matthew mark luke and john and what those are Those are eyewitness accounts of jesus's time on earth told by four different people And so um, depending on the bible you have Sometimes the words of jesus are actually printed in red So you know the things He actually said versus what He didn't say. So the the purpose of our whole series is we're going to look at what Jesus didn't say so we can have a better understanding of what He did say. So today is what we're going to do. We're going to start our discussion by hopefully something we have in common. I don't know this, but I assume that everybody here wants to be happy I'm assuming everybody here wants to be happy I don't know anybody in my life who says You know what Tyler, my goal this week Is to be as miserable as I can be Um, Actually I do Those are Dallas Cowboy fans But No Cowboy, that's good I think my brother was listening last week Or last service and I got a little comment from him So so today we're going to look at What Jesus didn't say about happiness So for fun Here are some things that Jesus never said about happiness. He never said, Go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. He didn't say that. He's, he never said, um, Whoever wants to meet my disciple, I want them to affirm themselves and avoid everything having to do with the cross and follow their own heart. He never said that. And my personal favorite Jesus never said, Ask for whatever you want. And it'll be given to you because God is your, your celestial sugar daddy. God is your, your cosmic Coke machine. He's your, your majestic magic lamp. He never said any of that about our happiness. So today what I want to do, I want to look at the gospel of John, uh, chapter 8 to be exact. And we're going to look at this story that at the end of it, we're going to look very specifically at what Jesus did not say because what he did say, you guys, I really believe it's got tremendous power for our everyday life today. So we're just gonna pick it up right in John chapter eight, verse two. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. So let's pause here because I want, I want you to visualize this. You remember like when I when I grew up we had this place in town called Capitol Hill Mall anybody remember Capitol Hill Mall yeah, yeah. So I remember, like, growing up childhood, teenage years, like, Christmas time, man, Capitol Hill Mall was the place to be. It was so busy. There was all these people, all this activity, and, like, especially, like, in the food court. It was always busy. So this is, this is kind of the scene before us. Like, Jesus is in the mall, okay? And he's in the food court. He's in the center of all this activity. And there's all this craziness going on. And what he's doing is he's, he's meeting with his small group. He's having a little Bible study. That, that's what's going on right now. So just then... There's some hypocritical religious men that walk in the food court. And, you know, I picture them, they got their full garb on, they've got judgment all over their face, you know, and, uh, they're, they're bringing in a woman caught in the act of adultery. We're going to pause within our pause because have you ever thought about that? If you've read the story before, have you ever thought about those words? Like this woman was caught in the act of adultery. How'd that happen? Like, what was the situation there? Like, who caught her? How did that all go down? I don't know. Well, anyway, these guys, they, they bring this woman in, and the text says that she was caught in the act of adultery. So you can imagine that she was probably barely dressed. I can only imagine that this probably would have been one of, if not the most embarrassing moment of her entire life. Like, this was probably the low of the lows. But what's interesting is the religious men that were, was bringing her, they didn't care one iota about her. They were using her as a tool to get to Jesus. Check this out. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what, what do you say? They were using this, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So, they make this woman stand before the whole group. Again, are walking by, they're, they're going about their day, and all of a sudden, this woman, barely dressed, is there in one of the worst moments of her life. Now, the religious guys, they, they say to Jesus, they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I, I hear pride in that. Like, hey, look what we did. We caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, Jesus, hey, the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. If you've never heard that term, This is what it means. It means you pick up a rock and you throw it at her. And then you pick up another rock and you throw it at her again. Everybody around the circle is doing the same thing until the person dies. That's what stoning a person was in the Old Testament. That's what they're recommending. But verse 6 shows us the motives behind the question. They were using this question as a trap in order that they could accuse Jesus later. So here's what's interesting. They think they got him. They think they've, 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 they've come up with this plan and they got him. Like, how is he going to answer? Because he's in a no win situation. Because think about this. If, uh, according to the law of Moses, and that means the law that was handed down from God to Moses, she needs to die. This woman was guilty and she should be stoned. So Jesus is in an odd spot because on one hand, if he agrees and says, yes, go ahead and kill her. He loses his reputation for being loving and forgiving and graceful. But on the other hand, if he says, let her go, then he's breaking the law of Moses. And apparently he's condoning the act of adultery. So what's a guy that's the son of God going to do? I love the showmanship here. I, I can appreciate some good showmanship. He asks this, they ask him this question. They got him trapped. What does Jesus do? Verse six, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger that's pretty cool. I mean that's that's pretty cool. They they got him trapped and he doesn't even say a word. He just bends down and starts doing a little etch a sketch in the dirt. And so now we come to the question with that story, we come to the question that everybody has been asking since that story has been recorded. What did he write? Right? What did he write on the ground? And so today The 22nd of August, when you came to church, when you tuned in online, is today the day that you're going to find out the answer to that question. Should we do a drum roll? The answer is, we have no idea. We have no idea. Well, okay, that's not true. We have some idea. Because when when you look at the the, the research that went into this and, and all the biblical scholars, what we think it's likely, we don't know this for sure, it's likely that Jesus wrote down the sins of the hypocritical men that were accusing him. Because, like I say, we don't know that's true, but the reason we think it's likely is when you look at the original language. When you look at the Greek, the, the language that the story was actually written in, you see that word for right, you see two different Greek words. One of the words that's used means simply to write. That's all it means. But then there's another word that's used in this context, and it means against. So in this story, when you put those words together, what that word means is to write against. So when Jesus is doing the Etch-A-Sketch in the ground, he's writing down something against someone or something in that area. What it sounds like to me is, as they're asking him all these accusatory questions, he's, he's bent down and he looks up and maybe he sees the Pharisees. Maybe he sees Pharisee A and Pharisee B and Pharisee C. And maybe he looks at Pharisee C and he says, Pharisee, see I know it was in your browser history from this morning. Story goes on. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, "Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her." Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Now, what's interesting to me again is if we look at the original language, the the word there when it says "without sin," the word there doesn't just mean "without sin." The word means not just without sin, but it means not only did you not want to sin or not only did you sin, not sin, but you didn't even want to sin. The word literally means without wanting to sin. So maybe there were times in your life where, you know, you didn't sin and that was great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't want to sin. Jesus told these guys, okay, all right, here, here's the situation. If you are a without sin, impossible. But if you are B without even wanting to sin, go ahead, pick up the rock and throw it at her. Go ahead. The story continues at this. Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Did you catch what Jesus didn't say right there? He didn't say, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and do whatever makes you happy. Go now and follow your own heart as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. He didn't say, Go now and you do you. Go now and live your truth. He didn't say that. He said, Go now. And leave your life of sin. Other translations. And Rebecca St. James from the 90s. Says go now and sin no more. See this wasn't a condemning. Judgmental statement. When he says go now and leave your life of sin. That wasn't judgmental. It was loving. How do I know that? Because if he wanted to be judgmental. He's the only person in the world. That could have picked up that rock. And thrown it at her. He was without sin. And he didn't want to sin. So if he was judgmental. He could have picked up the rock first and said, okay, here we go. But he didn't. He said, go now and leave your life of sin. So this begs the question this morning. Why is temptation so tempting? Why is that? And the good news is we don't have to look at the Greek and we don't have to do a bunch of research. The reason temptation is so tempting is because it looks appealing. Right? It looks fun. How many of you... Don't raise your hand. But how many of you would be really honest this morning and agree that sin can be fun? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is entrapment, right? I'm in church and you want me to say that sin can be fun. Well, actually, would you believe me if I said the Bible actually says that? In the book of Hebrews, it calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. It acknowledges that. It's it's pleasurable for a little while. The Bible tells us that it can be fun. I've heard it said that if you don't think sin is fun, then you're not doing it right, right? However, that's not the end of the story because here's the truth. It's fun for a little while, but eventually it's going to mess you up. Eventually it's going to mess you up. Do you know what temptation is? Temptation is sin asking for permission. That's what temptation is. It's sin asking for permission. It's sin knocking on the door. It's being very polite at that point. It's knocking on the door asking for permission. But let me tell you this. Once you open the door and you let it in, it stops being polite. Because this is what sin does. It takes you further than you want it to go. It keeps you longer than you want it to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. Because here's what sin does. It promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. It says, hey, you're going to like this. Oh, it's going to be so fun. It's going to feel good. It's going to be good. It's going to make you happy and you're really going to enjoy it. It promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. Think about the woman in the story. I always wonder, like, with these stories in the Bible, I always like to just kind of let my mind wander, and I wonder, like, how did she get here? Like, how did she get there in that moment? Like, the the Bible doesn't actually give us the backstory, and we don't know what was in her past, but very, very likely what happened was it was one decision followed by another decision, followed by another decision and another decision and another decision, and all of a sudden, she's there in the most embarrassing moment of her life, barely dressed, and being shamed. How did she get there? Temptation knocked on the door, and she let it in. See, sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and pain to yourself. But before we get high and mighty with her, we need to look at ourselves, because how many of us end up in similar places today? Why is that? Like, why do, why does, so, like, we know better, but why do so many of us end up in similar situations? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the biggest issues in our culture today is this idea of relativism. And relativism is the belief that everything is relative and subjective. In other words, just really plainly, there's no absolute truth. You hear this all the time in culture today. You, you probably have read this or heard this from some of your friends. Well, that may be true for you. But that's not true for me, right? Well, that's your truth, but I have a different truth. So you live your truth, and I'll live my truth. And I've heard it said that there's no such thing as absolute truth, so I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. Here's the problem with that. The problem is, without a belief in absolute truth, then the truth is defined by whoever's looking at it. It's subjective to the person and whatever makes them happy. And when the bottom line is happiness, then happiness becomes a standard by which you judge your own actions. So really simply, um, the truth becomes, if it makes me happy, it must be good. And if it doesn't make me happy, it must be bad. So what's the root cause of that? If, If we really want to get to it this morning, what is the root cause of that? The root cause is this, that somewhere along the line, I think we as a culture have started to believe the lie that we think happiness and holiness are at odds with one another. Think about that. Deep down, somewhere we've started to believe about Christianity that we have to choose one or the other. We can be happy, and we can be holy, but we can't be both. And maybe you think, okay, well, if, if I choose holiness, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I, I'm I'm signing up for a life of being miserable, uptight forever. I mean, doesn't doesn't the Bible say that, right? The Bible says, um, for God so loved the world that he wants his children to be miserable. Right? Does the Bible say that? No, of course not. Jesus actually said about God, our Father, he said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's a good father. So, if we find ourselves this morning at odds with being holy versus being happy, I would propose something this morning. I would propose that maybe you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. Max Lucado, he's he's an author and he's a speaker. He's got a, a great illustration about this. He asks the question, he says, would a fish ever be happy on the beach? So like we were at Clark's Bay a couple of weeks ago doing baptisms. That was a great day. So let's just picture us back there. Okay. Let's go grab a fish out of the water and let's throw it on the beach. What's the fish going to do? Yeah, fish is gonna start flopping in and, and, and freaking out, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay. I, I know what the fish needs. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my truck and I'm gonna get the same briefcase that I know a lot of you have. I'm gonna open my briefcase, and there is just a bunch of hundred dollar bills loose. Like we all have that briefcase, right? Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna go over to the fish and we're gonna tip over the briefcase, and now all this money is raining down. All these Benjamins are raining down. Is the fish happy? No, I mean, the, the fish is still flopping around. Okay, so we didn't do it right. Okay, so I know what we forgot. We forgot. Okay, so the, the fish has money. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go, we're going to throw him a party. That's what he needs. So we're going to grab all the best-looking fish out of the water. And so now we put all these other fish with him, right? And so now he's, he's there with his other fish. We got a bunch of celebrity fish. And, and is, is the fish happy now? No. Oh, well, you know what? I know what we forgot. We need to give the fish a margarita, OK? So now we, we've got a wet bar there, and we've got a bartender, and, and we put a little tiny fish Margarita, in on his little tiny hands and his little tiny flippers. and, and he, what he does is he, he takes his phone out and he, he flips a selfie, and he posts on Fishstagram and his whole account blows up, right? Now he's a fish influencer, and everybody knows his name, and everybody loves him. Is the fish happy now? No. no. Why not? Exactly. Because the fish was never meant for the beach. Right? This morning, if you find yourself in a situation where you're wondering why you aren't happy living for the things of this world, it's because you weren't created for the things of this world. You were created by God, for God, to live for the things of God. That's why sin can never satisfy you because you were not made in the image of sin. You were made in the image of God. That is why sin promises satisfaction, but it's never going to be able to deliver. What do we need to understand this morning? We need to understand that holiness and happiness are not opposed to one another. Holiness and happiness, they're actually connected. They're actually connected. Holiness is how you get to happiness. Serving God, living for him, that's the pathway. I I love how David says it in the Old Testament. He says this, he says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Look at that word, eternal pleasures. Not fleeting pleasures of sin, but eternal pleasures. And that's why the woman who, let's just be honest, she's as guilty as we are, When she was caught in the most shame-filled moment of her entire life, Jesus didn't look at her and say, Oh my goodness, I am so embarrassed by you. After everything I've done for you, the way you're choosing to live is pathetic. No, he didn't say that. Jesus said there's something so much better for you in life. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and be free. Okay, so let's just get really real this morning let's just, let's just get to the heart of it. The question we might have this morning for one another is, what do you do when you know what's right, but you keep doing what's wrong? What do you do when you feel trapped? You know, it it looked good. It it promised something, but it, it didn't deliver. And now you can't find your way out. What, what do you do when you know it's wrong, but you can't get out? Maybe, maybe it's this crazy cycle that you find yourself on and, and you keep coming back to it. Whatever it is, it, it could be anything. It could be anything you struggle with. It could be um, an addiction. It could be something that just keeps nipping at your heels that's, that's always there that you keep coming back to. Or maybe, maybe it's a critical spirit where you just find yourself in every situation and in every interaction. You're just super negative. Maybe, maybe it's a critical spirit. Or maybe, maybe it's a lust issue. Maybe you you clicked and you looked. And then you felt bad and you said, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And then you clicked and you looked. And you felt bad and you said, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And you clicked and you looked and you said, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And it's just this crazy cycle. And now you find yourself in this lust-filled prison that only you know about. Or maybe for some of you, it's the wrong type of relationship. Maybe you're with somebody who keeps mistreating you time and time again, and you keep going back to them time and time again. What do you do when you know it's not God's best, but you find yourself in a similar situation of being barely dressed and ashamed, and you can't quite figure out how you got there? You guys, these are some big situations, but I am so comforted that we serve a big God. And Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, and he addressed this. He said this, he said, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is good news because when you are tempted, when you are trapped, when when you're stuck, when you feel like there's a prison and there's no way out, God says, I'm going to give you a key to your prison. I am going to give you a way out. There's always grace. There's always potential for freedom because he says, I'm not going to give you more than you can bear. I'm going to give you a way out. You know, over the, over the last couple years, I've, I've enjoyed running. I mean, as much as anybody can enjoy running. Um, I'm one of those weird people that actually likes to run on a treadmill because I find my life is filled with decisions and problem solving and I don't, I don't want to deal with that when I run. I just want to run. And so I get on the treadmill, and I don't have to worry about streets or traffic or dogs. I just, I run, and the pace is set for me. But let me tell you this. When, when I'm at the end of a really hard run or a really long run, on my treadmill, on the, on the front of it is a, is a red button. And at the end of the red button, there's a red cord. I know that when, I'm, when I feel like I can't take another step and I got more miles to do, I, feel, I know that I can take that red cord and pull it. The treadmill stops instantly. And I have a way out. What that verse is saying to you guys is God has a red cord for you this morning. God has a red cord that he is giving you a way out. The thing is, it might not be easy. It might not be easy. Maybe maybe the way out for you is calling a buddy and saying, Can you help me get in a recovery program? Or or maybe the, the way out is is turning off the internet on all of your devices. Or or maybe the way out is, is, is calling a friend and, or calling a group of friends and saying, you know what, would you would you point out whenever I'm being negative? Would you call me out on my stuff whenever I'm being critical? Or maybe the way out is finally admitting that you're being mistreated in a relationship and it's time to get some help. Whatever it is this morning, I'm, I'm here to tell you because somebody told us that God is faithful. He is always, he will always give you a way out. So what do you do when you're tempted? What do you do when you're trapped? Well, you, you, you recognize that he gives you a way out. He's, somebody needs to hear this this morning. He's not looking down on you and saying, I'm embarrassed by you. I'm ashamed by you. Now go whatever. Go, go do whatever. You do you. He's not saying that. He's saying, just like he said to the woman all those years ago, he's saying this morning, because of my grace, you can be free. Go and leave your life of sin. And you, you, might, you might be honest in your head this morning. You might say, you know what, Tyler? I've heard this song before. I've heard this song before and I'm getting tired of hearing it. You might say, you know what? I've been on this cycle so long. I've heard your song. Yeah, let's, let me just tell you this. Don't believe it. The minute you start believing that you've been on this cycle before and God can't reach you, you lost. If if that's what you're saying this morning, act like it's the first time you've heard this. Act like it's the first time you've heard this because God does have a way out for you. He has a red cord for you. Just like he said to the woman, go and leave your life of sin, be free. He is saying that to you this morning. I've, I've heard it said that sometimes your story only comes through your struggle. Another way of saying it, like your testimony is only gonna come through your trial. And, and maybe that's you this morning, but think about it. There, there's a possibility, you guys, that, that one day, You are going to tell your story of how you overcame what you're going through. And that's going to become somebody's survival guide. They're going to look at that and say, okay, if you can do it, I can do it. You're going to give them permission and inspiration to go and do the same thing. Because Jesus is saying to you today, the same thing he said to her. He says, you know what? I've got a better path for you. I'm not going to let anybody else throw stones at you go and leave your life of sin and be free because here's the truth holiness and happiness are not at odds holiness and happiness are connected holiness is how you get to happiness and that is how you live a life worth living let me let me pray for you god thank you so much father that god when when you created the world lord you knew that we were going to run into this father you knew that we were going to run into temptation and relativism father and and God I just I thank you so much Lord that you provided a way out for us God that you have a red cord for each one of us and Lord if I could pray anything over this group of people and those watching online I would pray courage in the name of Jesus father courage father to pull that red cord Lord whatever it is father courage to make a phone call or or to do whatever they need to do father to get off that cycle Lord Lord because you have such a better way for us father such a better way of living Lord and God, I pray courage in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray a blessing upon this group, Father, that, that as we go, Lord, that, that we would be salt and light to our world, Father, that we would be the ones, the difference makers, Father. Thank you for this group, Father, and thank you for our day. In Jesus' name, amen.